It's spring 1948. Already having endured the hardships of World War II, saints living in Czechoslovakia now find their worship restricted under communist rule. In Central America, the first seeds of missionary work are planted in Guatemala. At the same time, President George Albert Smith serves with all his heart despite severe health challenges. These courageous stories are next in Chapter 33, Our Father's Hand. This is Saints, Volume 3, the podcast. Welcome to the Saints podcast. I'm James Perry. And I'm Shailen Back. Joining us is Matt Grow, Managing Director of the Church History Department. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here. Well, Matt, we are making our way through the book now and we're getting towards the end. Perhaps we could start today by you sharing with us one or two of the stories that have really stood out to you so far in the book. Well, I'm really excited by this chapter. As we get nearer the end of the book, we're trying to balance a lot of stories in Europe as we head towards the dedication of the Swiss temple, while at the same time continuing to tell stories of saints throughout the world. And one of the stories that really resonated with me in this chapter was the beginning of the church in Guatemala, where you have a man by the name of John O'Donnell, who grew up in the Latter-day Saint colonies in Mexico, is now working in Guatemala, and he's married a woman who grew up Catholic. And he really hopes that she can come to accept the gospel so that they can have an eternal family. And it takes some time for this to happen. And telling the story of John and Carmen O'Donnell and the beginnings of the church in Guatemala, I think is a really significant part of this chapter. Absolutely. I'm grateful that you've shared that. I'm sure we love all of the saints' stories. There are some that tug at our heartstrings in one way, and there are other stories that can bring us to tears and others. And there's just a real spectrum. But I think the John O'Donnell story is one of love and also of patience. And I hope that a lot of our other readers really enjoy this story as well. Yeah. For me, it also had similar feeling to Joseph Smith when he was praying and had all that opposition, you know, as Carmen was trying to receive her answer. I just thought it was kind of a beautiful story of prayer and receiving your own testimony. But Matt, we should probably talk about the sacrifices that Latter-day Saint leaders have made to serve the church around the world. We read how Wallace Toronto was separated from his family for a year until they could join him where he was in Czechoslovakia. For some readers, it might seem strange for a family to be separated while serving in the church. Will you just give us some more background about the service the Torontos gave to members in Czechoslovakia? Yeah, it's a great question. So in this chapter... We meet the Torontos as they are leading a mission in Czechoslovakia in 1948 to 1949. And this is actually the second time that they have served together in the Czechoslovak mission. The first time had been in 1936. And at that time, they were a very young couple. And they supervised the church there until the outbreak of World War II in 1939, when they, along with the missionaries in the country, were evacuated. And so after World War II, they were asked to come back. And initially, 
it wasn't clear whether or not Martha and their children were going to be able to join Wallace in Prague as he led that mission. But it was obviously important for Martha and Wallace to be together. And so after some time, she too is set apart for her mission to serve with her husband leading the Czechoslovak mission. And this chapter finds us at a really critical point where the Cold War is beginning and there's increasing pressure on the Torontos and other church members in Czechoslovakia. Well, Martha Toronto is a really important character in this storyline, and she is a remarkable woman, and I'm sure readers will be inspired by some of the things that she goes on to do. What do we know about Martha and her service in the Czechoslovak mission? Well, it's a great question. We do have to remember that Martha and Wallace have a young family, so they're balancing their church service, of course, with raising their family. At this time, in general, wives of mission presidents led the Relief Society in their mission. So she is directing the work of the Relief Society throughout the mission. Of course, she's helping take care of the missionaries, teaching them and helping care for their needs. And she also feels a responsibility to help recent converts in the church. So the recent converts would gather on a weekly basis at the mission home where they would have mutual improvement association activities, especially for the younger converts. Matt, I appreciate that the writers and the editors chose to feature Martha's responsibilities as a mission leader in that time. It's so great for me to understand more of the responsibilities of the wives of mission presidents, you know, now and then. So I think that was a really great feature. I agree that the service that wives of mission presidents throughout church history has been really, really significant. And I can only imagine how scary it would be at this time and how difficult it would have been to come to this place where they didn't have the freedom to worship that was stripped away by the government. And we're just wondering, Matt, if you can talk to some of the kinds of threats and actions that were taken to try to suppress these Czechoslovakian saints. Yeah, it is a real time of pressure and scrutiny from the government. One of the things that happens is that new American missionaries begin to be restricted from entering into Czechoslovakia. And eventually the missionaries who are there are also going to be ordered to leave. And so you're going to have fewer and fewer missionaries over time. And with the church meetings themselves, there was often visitors from the government who would come to witness the church meetings. Sermons and lessons had to be submitted to the government six weeks in advance so that they could be scrutinized. Sometimes members of the congregation would be called in by the police and pressured to give information on what was going on and on other members of the congregation. And of course, the Latter-day Saints were seen as a very American church, which brought additional concern from the government and additional scrutiny. So there was just this really difficult atmosphere where the saints were afraid They were afraid that they were being listened in on. They were afraid that if they did the wrong things, that there could be real consequences for the lives of the saints. Obviously, in the book, we're able to only put the heart of the story. There's so much more that's going on that we could probably write a book about those couple of years of the church after the Second World War in, in Czechoslovakia. 
And we'll also come back to Czechoslovakia in Volume 4 and check in on the Saints there and how they're going. So this is probably quite an interesting story for some of our readers. You know, there are not many communist countries with Latter-day Saints at the time. This is a large parts of Eastern Europe hadn't had missionaries for a really long time, with maybe just the occasional scattered members. And so... Hopefully, one of the things that this story does is it starts to introduce our readers to Eastern Europe, to Central Europe, to the things that are going to come along in just a few decades, which will hopefully be inspiring and faith-promoting for our readers. Yeah, one of the things that surprised me as we went through this process in writing and editing Volume 3 is that before World War II, there were congregations of saints scattered throughout Eastern Europe. And of course, that does set the stage for what's going to come later. But it was also just a reminder to me of how important the Cold War was, obviously, to the growth of the church there and how that was going to restrict for decades what was able to happen for the church and members of the church in all of those countries. Yeah. Wallace Toronto gives the saints at this time some advice, and I just think it might be relevant for saints who find themselves in similar positions today. Matt, will you just speak to this advice a little bit? What does he tell them, and how is it still meaningful for us today? That's a great question. When some of the local Czechoslovakian saints would come to Wallace Toronto and say that they were being pressured to give information on the church or on fellow members, he told them, don't put yourself at risk. What he said was, offer just enough information to satisfy your interrogator. Try to protect other members of the church by not giving up too much information. But don't put yourself at risk. Give enough information to where the interrogator isn't going to continue to pursue you. And that is wise advice. And we have saints today who live in countries where there are these sensitivities. There are, yeah. there are risks involved in being a member of the church. And I think this example, which is one of many, including what's going on today, is a way of showing that the church cares about its members. They don't want them to come to harm. They don't want them to put themselves at an unnecessary risk. And I think this advice is age old, really, in how it could be of benefit for the saints. Yeah, I agree that it's really useful advice. And of course, we have this tradition and teaching that we should honor the governments where we live. And we know that throughout time and throughout the world, many saints have lived under unjust governments. And I think what Wallace is telling the members of the church here is to figure out how to survive in that system. Don't put yourself at risk. That's not what the church wants you to do. But figure out how to survive, to continue to worship if possible, and to move on with your life as best you can. Because in many cases, these governments do change over time. Right. Sometimes you have to take the long view. Yeah. Well, I think freedom and agency are two of these themes that just run throughout this chapter. We see this in, in yeah. many of the different stories. We have this situation in Czechoslovakia. We look at Emmy Jeep and how she's having to make choices to improve her life and her opportunities. And then we have Carmen, who is getting that answer to a prayer and making the decision to be baptized herself. And so 
it's funny sometimes how in Saints, the stories, although they can be set in completely different locations and they could be about completely different sets of circumstances, they can still speak to each other. And you know, that was one of our real hopes with Saints, was that the stories of Saints in another part of the world could still resonate with Saints in a totally different culture, in a totally different place. So we're not writing the Czechoslovakian story just for Czechoslovakian saints, or we're not writing the story about Guatemala just to inspire Guatemalan saints, but we're hoping that saints in the Philippines will be inspired by the story in Guatemala. And that seeing these commonalities of saints throughout the world will help bind us together, will help create that unity among the church. I think that's one of the real necessities among the church today is as the church has become so global that we can feel a real kinship with saints, not just in our local ward and certainly not just in our nation, but a kinship with saints in completely different cultures. Well, and Matt, I have felt that as a reader of saints. I have felt that I relate to a lot of these members of the church around the world, regardless of where they are. And a scene that I really appreciated in the book this time, especially was with George Albert Smith. And we have this way that we're introduced in a very real and a very raw way to the struggles that he has. For example, can you just tell us more, Matt, about the mental health struggles that President Smith experienced during his life? I really appreciate this scene with President George Albert Smith as well. And we've become just so much more open in our culture, not just Latter-day Saint culture, but culture more broadly, about talking about mental illness and the struggles and the challenges that that can be. And when we talked about President Smith's life, we felt that it would be really important to acknowledge what was an experience that ran throughout his life, and that is that he faced really challenging physical struggles, as well as really challenging mental health issues. So he had poor eyesight, he had digestive problems, he struggled with terrible fatigue throughout his life, and he also struggled with anxiety and depression. And it's really difficult to diagnose someone precisely, either with physical ailments or mental health ailments, if you can't talk with them, if you can't examine them as the doctor or psychiatrist might today. It's very difficult to diagnose historical individuals. But President Smith talked about this a lot himself in his life, and it was certainly no secret to those who worked closely with him, to his family members, that at times his anxiety and depression could be really crippling. And there was a period of time in 1909, this is six years after he's called as one of the members of the Quorum of the Twelve, that his anxiety and depression becomes so difficult that for a period of three years, he steps away from his regular duties because he's, he's facing this overwhelming challenge. See, I think these kinds of stories really help to relate to apostles or, or just church leaders generally. And I imagine there might be, be some readers who say, well, what's this got to do with the church? Or why has this got the space in the book? But I think it's really important to recognize that there is a limited amount of space, although it is a big book. Yeah, There's only a limited number of stories. But I think in our cultures and society and as a church, these are the kinds of conversations and stories that we need to know about and be having. Yeah, as I've studied history, 
I've come to recognize that these mental health challenges run throughout history, right? That shouldn't be surprising. They're nothing new. The first time I wrote in depth about an individual, I was in graduate school and I was writing my dissertation. I was writing a biography of an individual named Thomas Kane. And he's a really interesting individual who was never a Latter-day Saint, but did a lot in the 1800s to defend, protect, advocate for the saints. And as I got into his personal papers, he talked very openly about periods of time that he would say, I'm going through my blue devils. And clearly he was experiencing times where he was depressed. And later, I talked with one of his descendants, who was a professor of psychology. And he said, you know, in our family, depression just runs so deep. And he said, as I've studied Thomas Kane's life, I actually think he had both moments of highs and moments of lows. And he would have diagnosed Thomas Kane with bipolar disease. And looking back, I could certainly see how that diagnosis could make sense, even though, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you always have to be so careful about those kind of diagnoses with historical individuals. But one of the real goals of saints was to, yes, give people a broad view of the history of the church, but also include in saints that full range of the life experiences of Latter-day Saints. And that has meant people who faced mental illness. It's people who faced really difficult family challenges, divorce, and losing children and spouses to disease just trying to give that full experience that saints have faced over time, in part so that those who face similar challenges today can find connection, can find example. And I think it is really important in our culture to be candid that these mental health challenges of depression and anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder or whatever the mental health challenge is, that that's been part of our history. That's been part of the life experience of many saints over time. And of course, these challenges are no respecter of persons. And George Albert Smith was an amazing individual and an amazing prophet. And he found ways throughout his life to face those challenges. He found that prayer helped him. He found that taking care of his physical health, diet and exercise, fresh air was really important to him. Being outside was really important to him. The other thing that we wanted to do by talking about President Smith's challenges was to show how that shaped him, that he had a real sense of love and concern for those who struggled, for those who suffered for those who faced injustice in their lives. And my sense is that probably grew out of his own experiences. And so he was interested in arranging for the first spring of the Book of Mormon in Braille, the first church branch for the death. And he just reached out to those who struggled, who suffered, even though he recognized that when he did that, it would sometimes lead to his own suffering. He said, when I see other people in sorrow and depressed, I am easily affected. And so there was, of course, that very positive impulse of reaching out. And yet he just felt things so deeply as well. And it's so interesting that now we use different terms yeah. in our modern day to describe these ailments that he had. But through his descriptions and through descriptions of those close to him, you know, we can have a clue into what these historical figures are going through. And 
I just found this extract from the book interesting in describing what he was going through. So let's go ahead and listen. Doctors at the time did not understand long-term physical and mental illness as well, often using terms like nervous exhaustion to describe conditions like chronic fatigue or depression. Still, President Smith did his best to manage his health, taking advantage of periods of increased energy and stamina and resting when needed. Although he had never again suffered the kind of collapse he had experienced decades earlier, old age and immense responsibilities were taxing him. I think that's a really interesting explanation. I think one other aspect of President Smith's situation is that he didn't seem to be ashamed of it. He understood that he was facing these real challenges in his life. And I think there's a message there for those of us who struggle, who face mental health challenges, physical health challenges. There's no shame in that. That's just part of the mortal experience for many of us. Well, Matt, I think this chapter and others where we talk about George Abbott Smith, readers are able to get a glimpse into to what he's like. Could you tell us a little bit more about his personality and what he was as, a, as an individual? It's a great question. He does seem to have just had a very kind heart, a heart that was very aware of other people, of their situations, their sufferings. And he just had that reputation of just being such a kind soul. And I think there's other examples of this. We know that when Elder Benson is sent to Europe around this time, you know, just a couple of years earlier, yeah. that was President Smith wanting to help the saints. And we also have the reversal of Helmut Hübner's excommunication. Yeah, that's a great point. And of course, that's covered earlier in Saints, uh, Volume 3, the Helmut Hübner story. And from our distance, we can see both the difficulties that that local branch faced and the local branch leadership faced in trying to navigate Nazi Germany and not bring more trouble onto the saints. And of course, we can recognize Helmut Hübner's heroism and standing up to injustice. So the local leadership had excommunicated Helmut Hübner, and President Smith, from his vantage point, just could understand that that had been inappropriate, and he reversed that action. I think it's a good point, and you are a professional historian in your own right. What are some of the challenges that historians and writers face when researching and writing these kinds of sensitive stories? What are the different things that they have to consider? Well, for me, I think you have to understand the context in which decisions were made. You have to put yourself a little bit in the shoes of the decision maker on both sides of these delicate, difficult issues. And you have to ask yourself, what information did they have? What pressures were they feeling? What were they trying to navigate? And I think in general, it's useful to take a charitable view of their actions. So any action can be interpreted in multiple ways. And of course, some actions need to be interpreted in very harsh ways because the actions were evil. But in general, I think if we can assume that most people are trying to do their best with the information they have, with the situation they're facing, and try to interpret their actions with some charity and the understanding of that cultural context. I think that's really important. 
Another aspect that I would mention about being a historian and writing about these historical figures is for me, I'm always reminded at how many gaps that we actually have in our information and our understanding. We can never talk to these individuals. We can't ask them follow-up questions. We can't get a sense of their personality in the give and take of a conversation. And for me, that means a historian has to be humble. A historian has to recognize that judgments are really difficult because our information is limited. Our understanding of the cultural context might be limited. There's other gaps in our knowledge. So we have to have a sense of humility. And sometimes I think that in the future, I hope that individuals looking back in 50 or 60 or 80 years would have a sense of charity in interpreting my actions or the actions of other people in our world today. I would also have a sense of humility in saying there's probably things I don't understand. There's information I don't have. I'm going to be not perhaps as judgmental as my initial impulse might be. Brilliant. Thank you so much. James and Matt, you've mentioned that even though Saints is a big book, there just isn't room to have all of these stories. So we'd love to remind our listeners that if they want to learn more about these particular people and particular places and topics, we do have church history topics that will give them a little bit more context, a little bit more information. For example, Wallace and Martha Toronto and their experience in Czechoslovakia. We have more on George Albert Smith and his mental health. You can also read more about the beginnings of the church in Guatemala and these other important people that we read about in Saints. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing some really insightful comments about this chapter. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you took away some new insights into this volume. And we would love to hear your thoughts, opinions, questions, and insights from this chapter of Saints. And you can email saintspodcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. It would be great to hear from you. 